0: Hey guys, I'm Pete. And I'm Alex. And you're listening to the Kick, Push, Pivot podcast. I'm a former Fortune 500 consultant dedicated to the idea of innovation and growth. And I used to
1: manage marketing tours for the Rolling Stones, focused on creating one-of-a-kind customer experiences.
0: On this podcast, we interview people faced with the decision to kickstart innovation, push through doubt, or pivot to something new.
1: We hope you find something inspiring or encouraging as you listen. All right, hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of Kick, Push, Pivot. We are on season three now, so it's gone very quickly and had a lot of great guests on. Today we are going to be interviewing Dr. Dan Weberg. He is out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, Dan is a transformation executive, a top LinkedIn healthcare voice, an international keynote speaker, and the owner of DrNurseDan.com. So welcome, Dr. Dan.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be fun.
1: And of course, I'm here as always with my co-host, Mr.
0: Pete Mackey. Say so what's up to the people, Pete. Great to kick off season three. Looking forward to it. Dan, it's going to be a fun time today. Let's looking, do it. I've already you, you kind of look like, for those that can't see in our audio, you kind of look like Prince Harry. So I feel like we're a little bit close to royalty right now. And then as we, as we get into your background, I think you'll just, you'll just prove our point. That's great to have you on the show. Special guest today.
2: Yeah, I love it. You know, one time I was on a Southwest flight and they, the flight attendant, and I was one like A1, and they stopped the boarding and they said, we have Prince Harry. And they, they kept the, the, uh, the exit row open for me as I walked through. And so that, that's about as close as I get to Prince Harry status. <laughs> 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 hey, that Southwest that's,
0: first class. That,
2: that, man, that's that right. Is, <laughs> that is exactly next level. Little got, a little extra
1: leg room.
0: Right. Oh man. <laughs> I've got a couple of good Southwest stories we'll swap sometime.
1: Cool. That's that's good. I love it. Yeah, and a couple of bad ones recently, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets a second chance. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh Dr. Dan, thanks again for being here. Um, I guess just to start things off, um, Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you're from or where you went to school.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm a California native, one of the few, um, and, uh, that sort of shaped my, uh, my, my perspective on life. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up and, and I went to Arizona state, go sun devils. I'm a triple, triple sun devil, got all three degrees from them. Uh, but I was, you know, I was, I was actually a business major, uh, as an undergrad and, um, just hated economics class. And so I sort of sat through my first, uh, uh, spring break and just looked at majors, thought about what I liked in high school, really liked anatomy and science classes and said, well, I'm going to go be a physician and, uh, started the pre-med track and just wasn't for me. Um, didn't like the gunner mentality, uh, hated OCHEM. And so I was like, well, I need a backup. And so I was like, I chose nursing. Uh, and I had no idea what nursing was or what they did, but that seemed logical and sort of did it and ultimately got into nursing school and found out, what nurses really do, and just embrace the profession. So, I did ER nursing. I've been an administrator and executive at some of the top health systems. I've taught leadership and uh, ultimately did my PhD in healthcare innovation, really trying to figure out um, how to fix healthcare and bring it into the future. Um, and, you know, my experiences throughout my career and my academic experience in, in courses was really that matrix moment where. You know, as a staff nurse in the ER, I wasn't exposed to all the things. I just sort of showed up, did my shift and, you know, realized things were broken, but didn't really get the whole context of the healthcare system. And then I was fortunate enough to take a, a class with a mentor of mine, Tim Porter Grady, and it was like taking that pill and I had a choice. Um, I could stay in the matrix or I could stay in my la la land and sort of just show up and do my work and go home or I could actually enter and try and, you know, manipulate the matrix and, and make change. And so chose the latter one and um, really have built my career around how do we create change and lead, lead systems um, in order to be adaptable for the future, whatever that brings
1: that's very cool i mean typically when i think of a nurse I, I don't think of someone that's you know leading innovation or you know sitting on boards or educating it, yeah like you like you said they kind of just stay in that matrix and continue to do nursing so really cool that you were able to adapt and and kind of go further into changing the the healthcare landscape um, and you've dubbed yourself the voice of healthcare innovation on on the website. For anyone that wants to check out uh, DrNurseDan.com, That's the first thing you'll see.
2: Yeah. I mean, I really have a passion of sort of that intersection of clinical practice, technology in the future. Um, and, and most of my roles have, have, formal and informal, have been in that, that space. I mean, as a staff nurse i was the guy who brought the palm pilot 3 onto the unit and started looking up drugs and not in a book you know on an actual device mm-hmm. and and from there just catalyzed into you using google glass and salesforce and you know cutting edge vr technology to train people and really sort of sort of just what is that emerging tech and how is it going to change the way we we provide care to patients and and really being that that sort of voice and then the the represent- representative for nursing as a whole to sort of get us at the table. Cause we're sort of not always thought about um, when people mm-hmm. are building tech, it's, they bring a physician on or, or, you know, business leader, but you know, nurses are 90% of the users for most of this stuff. And, um, and they're just underrepresented. So how do we get them at the table? Yeah, that's awesome. I like that
0: I like that. <clears throat> before we get too deep in the podcast, did you hear the, uh, did you hear the joke about the matrix and nurses? No. <laughs> what do nurses in the matrix Treat their patients with what, what? neosporin?
2: <laughs> Whoa, it's perfect. Baby. <laughs> help coming. It. Got couldn't the Keanu <laughs> Reeves pitch in there. I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: No, but it's interesting. You know, Alex and I've actually interviewed quite a few guests on the cutting edge of things, and it seems like the metaverse and VR is starting to kind of catch a little more headlines. Around how it can be used, especially especially in behavior health or uh, therapy, physical therapy, you know, mental recovery therapy. Um, I'd be curious to know if you see that as a trend or if that's something that's kind of just uh, here to stay.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I, so you know, one of the roles I had was building the new Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine, and and in that role was really looking at how do we how do we use new technology to educate? And so I think the treatment side, you know, there's experts in that stuff. I we, You know, when I was at Kaiser Permanente, they were starting to to research stuff on PTSD and using virtual reality to sort of put people in situations more controlled to sort of work through those things and mental health. I think, I definitely think there's a niche there. I think, and, and I think it's going to stay and continue because it's just another way to to sort of intervene with people and put them in in situations that they have to cope with. And so I think mental health, for sure, that's, it's going to stick around. I think the other kind of emerging piece is the education side. So, you know, a lot of clinical education is lecture and passive learning and books. And, you know, when you get out into practice, it's none of that. It's, it's touching people and being in situations and thinking with minutes to spare and those type of things. So I think that's really where VR, AR, XR is all going to make a huge impact. And there's some, there's some new studies coming out showing that you know using VR to teach medical students or nursing, um, uh, actually is a way more efficient way to teach. Like one example is in anatomy. Mm. So, you know, traditionally anatomy is taught with cadavers and cutting open dead bodies and things. And, um, they, the case Western did a study where they looked at VR teaching anatomy through purely VR and uh, the students learned the same content, got the same test scores as the cadaver patients, but learned it six hours faster per body system. So imagine you get six hours back into a curriculum that's already jam packed. You can start teaching things like AI. Like leadership, like teamwork, like all these other stuff that just is dropped out of clinical um, education because, you know, the old, at the end of the day, the practitioner has to make decisions about care and all that other stuff sort of seen as soft. So I think there's a huge opportunity for VR to revolutionize the way we train clinical professionals and really get them hit the ground running, uh, which hopefully will help solve some of the workforce issues we have.
0: Amazing. I love that. In fact, we had a guest, Alex, last season that's using of like a zoom technology to even real time during surgeries have doctors collaborate provide advice because you know depending on which hospital you're in you may not have experience or a certain case maybe a little you know unique So you got to kind of phone a friend in the doctor community and sometimes you know upping the collaboration level if you can be interactive like that not just obviously you know a zoom call but have it interactive where you can share charts you can sh- maybe even layer the actual um body of mm-hmm. the, the patient or the, or a model of the organ or the implant, whatever it's a med, med device. Like that kind of stuff I think is very interesting. It's already happening yep. in today's mm-hmm. world. So why isn't, why isn't nursing education or education for medical students catching up to that? Because that's the, that's the future, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the Kaiser's med school has no cadavers. It's a cadaverless med school. Um, it, it's all virtual reality, plastinated models, uh, as how they learn anatomy, and it was because the evidence says you can learn it better, and it's the same. I mean, you know, <laughs> we were talking before the show about sort of the the entry of all these new tech people into into healthcare and varying sort of value propositions there, but ultimately i think the systems and the technologies that are going to win are the ones that make clinicians give com- clinicians superpowers so like that putting on goggles and ha- now having x-ray vision basically like superman you can do surgery you can do interventions way better or putting on you know some sort of thing that allows you to see data in ways that you could never interpret just looking at a patient in sort of the normal way. And so I think the more we can superpower our clinicians, um, the better we are because there's not enough. And so we can't just throw people at the problem anymore, which is sort of that industrial mindset that healthcare has operated on for hundreds of years. We have to we have to get different. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming out that that is going to give that superpower to clinicians.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting to me too. I mean, even just in terms of practice, you know what I mean? Like to be able to practice, uh, an, uh, brain surgery without actually having to worry about, you know, the patient dying or something like that. You can do that all in VR now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the nurses have, and, and physicians have too many patients. And so how do you use AI algorithms to suss out if someone's gonna, you know, go down the drain you know, in an hour or two hours, like now you can prioritize care and be able to do interventions instead of, you know, what we've kind of been doing, which is a very manual process. I mean, nurses in general, they're they, like 36% of their workday is hunting and gathering information in people. Like that's such mm-hmm. non-value added tasks that, out of a 12 hour shift for four of your hours or trying to find something like that doesn't make any sense in today's world. So I think we yeah. got it. We got, we can, there's a, there's a whole lot of work that could uh, that could be more value added when they are given tools that actually work for them.
1: Yeah. So what was it while you were being a practicing nurse that you said, this isn't quite enough. I need to start kickstarting some innovation here. Um, This isn't working. This needs to be better. I need to start educating. What was it that kind of brought you to that next level?
2: Yeah, I think there's sort of two big events that sort of kicked me into there's more here than what what I'm doing. The first one was in nursing school. I actually failed um, my women's health and in that semester, there's only four tests that you could take, and you had to get an 88% or better in the semester to pass that semester. And I failed that. So I had to get 90% or more on all of the rest of my tests, so a lot of pressure. But the reason I failed that, in my opinion, was because I was at the county hospital, and a lot of your experience is done in clinicals, um, and I was a male in a county hospital, a male nurse in a county hospital, and I, I could I was never invited in the room. I mean, I, i never saw vaginal birth. I, you know, I barely got in to go see a C-section. And so all of this theory content you learn about, you know, what are these diseases and how they treated, I never could apply it. And so for me, that's really hard for me to learn then. So I, um, so I got really frustrated. So one of the things that that catalyzed in me was a different way of learning clinical, skills and clinical information, and so I got really into simulation. And So those mannequins, and you may see them on the news, the mannequins they use to train clinicians now and program them in real life scenarios and things, I got really into that before that was even a thing. And so that sort of kicked me into like, oh, there's more than just practicing nursing, like now there's this whole technology and education realm, and so I got really interested in that side. I think, you know, and then I, I, you know, the other part of my career has really been about how do you teach people to lead in systems or teach people to lead change? Because I had a lot of bad bosses (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and so like I'd go to work and I'm like, I remember this one day and this may have been the catalyst is the, the, the director of the emergency room came in the room and into this staff meeting and she's like, all right, we are over budget. So one of the things we're going to do to get under budget is you have to stop using, um, uh, four pieces of gauze you should only use one or two pieces of gauze when you're using gauze like and, and you know this is a bunch of ER nurses and we're looking at each other like did she really just say that like oh do you use goodness. four gauze versus two gauze oh, like no. it's it just like the most irrelevant solution <laughs> to a complex <laughs> problem and so what did we do of course we used ten pieces of gauze instead we're like screw that like we're at're we're <laughs> revolution gonna, you know, we're, yeah right yeah we're, we're getting out <laughs> it so now you have like the mindset of nursing um and and I was just like there, like that's not how you lead change and how, not how you inspire people to Adaptable. If you would just ask and engage with the frontline nurses on what the waste is in the system, they could tell you in a second. And so let's fix this together. And so I got really interested in leadership, the theories of leadership, and and how how influence occurs in kind of transforming systems uh and i think those two things really kick started me into the matrix sort of mindset of you know once you can manipulate you know you can shoot the bullets and they can go hit things but once you can manipulate the code of the matrix that's when neo became really powerful right he could just look Mm -hmm. and see the code and it wasn't about the interaction or the people like you were changing the system and i think that's where my passion is is really how do you change the system and how do you influence that differently
1: yeah I think we've all been there with uh the bad bosses. Pete used to be my boss, but he was great. Okay. Take it easy there, all right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Walking on thin ice here.
2: <laughs> well, you know, we even but, wrote a whole chapter about toxic leadership in one of our textbooks um because it was so impactful. So <laughs> yeah. you could give it to Pete and see if he fits any of the bill. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pete was a great leader. <laughs> um
1: but yeah, I think the communication piece that you you kind of hit on there as well it seemed like it was a a big, big thing for you as far as kickstarting the innovation, like even just communicating with the nurses and just what seems so basic, like talk to the nurses and they'll tell you what's happening on the front lines. It sounds so basic, but then, you know, it sounds like there wasn't really uh, enough communication there.
2: Yeah. And, and it, you know, and it's not just talk to them, like you have to facilitate it too, because nurses will spend all day, you know, telling you what's broken, but it's, it's also how do you engage them in the work to fix it? And so mm-hmm. not that boring idea box where you just throw your gripes into a, a you know, a, a box and, and let them go, right. but it, like, how do you actually engage people? So I got really into like user-centered design and and those type of tools to sort of engage the user in solutioning what's broken in their system. So I think it, all of that together is healthcare just is way behind in that sort of research and, and intervention.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned being a male nurse. Now I know that Tends to come with a little bit of stigma, mm-hmm. and maybe for uh, you know a male looking to go into the nursing profession, do you have any maybe advice for them, or uh, maybe some of the, tell us about some of the challenges that you face as a as a male going into that profession?
2: Yeah, um, there's a lot more resources now, so now is the time if you're going to do it <laughs> to get into it. But there, about 10%, maybe maybe it it sort of between 10 and 12% of the profession of nursing is uh, it, our males, um, in my class, that was, uh, ex- we had six out of 30, I think, or five out of 30 students were males. And, and so just a different experience. I think, you know, when I when and it wasn't that long ago, but when I went to school back, back in my day, um, <laughs> you know, the, the textbooks were written all in the female tents. And so like, even those little things, it's, it, it just, you don't feel as sort of invited into the profession um Mm -hmm. and and the history of it is sort of very female which is awesome it just it's just a different it's just something that it's, it's interesting. So now there's, you know, there, there's a a whole association of male nurses, a national association for male nurses. And, uh, there's a lot of work to diversify nursing in many ways, including bringing more men into it. So there's a ton of like support now. Um, but, but it, it's sort of, you know, it's hard to tell your friends like, Oh, Dan, what are you going to do? Oh, you're going to be a doctor. No, I'm going to be a nurse. Well, what do nurses do? Isn't that, don't they just wipe butts? Like that's sort of the (laughs) perception that people have of it. And it's like, no, actually I was, you know, I was up, you know, straddling a patient on a gurney, Giving them one-handed CPRs, who rolled in the you know, the OR, you know, and cracked his chest wow. open because of a gunshot wound. Like, like, oh, okay, <laughs> that, you know, that's yeah. kind of cool. You know, you have to tell those extreme stories to sort of get them past the fact that you're like, you're a man in in sort of a female dominated um, uh, profession. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I, I, it, it's been the most rewarding decision I've ever made in my life. And, you know, I, like I said, I was pre-med. I would not have engaged, I think as much in the physician, uh, world as I have in nursing and the opportunities nursing has just to be able to change things, move between different specialties and all that stuff, um, has been just game changing for me.
1: Awesome.
0: <clears throat> so, so what, oh, go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, I mean, on that point about nursing, um, looking forward into the future, you mentioned now's the time to get a nursing. I mean, I assume that's because they have more resources, but also there's a huge need and, and an ongoing shortage. So, looking forward, can you share with us kind of what you're seeing in the future of healthcare as it relates to you know nursing staffing, trends in the hospital you know uh, staffing area, things like that that you're kind of close to and I'm also personally experienced with that we should be thinking about as we get into 2023.
2: Yeah, um, well, I'm sure you, you know your listeners have seen it in the news with the nursing strike recently in New York, and uh, and that's actually now expanding. I think now Michigan has strikes coming, and Pennsylvania and California usually has one brewing, and so there's you know th- there's just a lot of frustration around how uh, nursing is managed um, and and the workforce issues around it, and so you know the problem you know the problem that isn't hasn't been solved well right now is that in the past. You know, you could throw warm bodies at the problem so you could hire more nurses there were there you know there's always been a shortage but there was people around that you could bring in and now there's just not enough there's more demand on the healthcare system because of covid and post covid and all the backups of all the care that wasn't delivered and there's just not enough clinicians physicians nurses whatever to actually do the work and the way we staff it in the past has been you know you get hired in as an ICU nurse and then you only work on the 4 north unit for 35 years and then that that's the only place you go and if you get floated to another unit you know that's like the worst thing to happen to you. And it causes all this drama. And so we've, we've kind of created this really linear staffing solution of, I need to hire my own nurses as full-time employees and all this contingent labor, travel nurses and stuff are sort of a distraction to that. And we have to really, I think the future is a a systemizing your talent. So not just hiring someone into the ER because they're an ER nurse, but to really catalog what that nurse's skills, career goals, competencies are and match those to the patient need. And so as we get more technology and data about clinicians and our patients through electronic medical records and AI and different things, to really connect the skill set of the clinician to the needs of the patient and break out of this sort of service line mentality, which sort of constrains the ability for you to move clinicians around to where they might add value beyond where they were hired into. And so I'm seeing lots of health systems start to think about that. You can look at like Mercy Health in St. Louis. They're working with one of my former companies, Trusted Health, around this gig marketplace of talent that can come in just in time and and work on their terms. You know, you, you have large integrated healthcare systems looking at how do they develop flexible labor pools and actually systemize, you know, the 60,000 nurses they have and use them in a a more efficient manner so um, so that they can staff. And then I think the last trend is really, you know, this idea that the, the movement to flexible and remote work um, is is also happening to healthcare, not just you know mm-hmm. uh, every other industry. So nurses are joining the ranks of the flexible labor pool, whether that's a full-on travel nurse or a local nurse that wants to work at multiple hospitals. I think healthcare leaders have to think about how do we develop pools of talent in a local area and actually tap into that, then they may not be our full-time employees. And so we may not own that whole relationship, but we got to think about how do we provide safe care? And so how do we bring those clinicians in, in a way, get them up to speed quickly, and then they become part of our family uh, 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 to deliver care. And so I think if we can figure out those pieces, that's sort of the trends I'm seeing around the workforce at the moment.
0: That's, that's incredible. So just to kind of play back what I'm hearing, I'm hearing a couple things. Number one is care management is like a big thing, right? People talk about care management. How do you, deliver the right care at the right time to the right person, but you're actually expanding that concept to include the, the nurse and the nurse's professional goals are personalized. We're talking like, this is kind of blowing my mind right now, but the ultimate care management experience would take in both sides of the equation. The patient needs the medication, the history, the family of the patient, but then also the nurse as well. I mean, that would be the true kind of future of medicine is to, and that, and the second piece of that is kind of hand in hand, that's personalized, right? Personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. Not just can you target this drug in the specific way that it makes the most, you know, impact. We're talking about remote work. you are talking about personalized care based on, you know, the profile of the nurse, profile of the patient, the hospital, all these things that are really complicated coming together in this beautiful human interaction that that kind of comes together in in that special kind of way.
2: Yeah, I mean, you hit on it, I, and, and you know, and this is sort of a um, it's a case example. So there's ver- there's variations of how it's implemented, but if you think about healthcare in general, the f- the front door to healthcare is the most expensive resource in the healthcare system, which is a physician, right? It's the high, you know, other than the executives, which we can debate all day. But like the, from a clinicals perspective, the highest paid person in that clinical team is the physician, and everyone has to have a physician, <laughs> and it doesn't make sense because not everyone needs a physician. You know, like if if you don't have a disease you know, physicians aren't always trained in the wellness side of thing, the preventive side. Nurses are mm-hmm. 100% trained in that. So maybe, you know, you're young, healthy, no issues. You just need preventive care. You don't need to pay for a physician to manage your care. You need a nurse or a physical therapist or a, or a wellness coach or a, nutritionist like so how do we tap all of the care team to be the front door and use technology so that we know them like you call the bank they know that what my balance is that doesn't matter if I'm talking to Joe in the customer service line or the you know whatever like anyone who picks up that phone can know me but in healthcare it's like well I have to have my physician and I think there's a trust thing there that we need to overcome but but how do we know patients and get them to the right resource and not have to funnel them through the expensive resources that that are the front door when they don't need those things so I think that's where Managed care is going to eventually move. And you're seeing it with virtual triage, the move to hospital at home. So not even admitting them to the hospitals, it's admitting them to their house and having a virtual follow-up and remote monitoring. Like all of those things are going to move us away from this. Got to go see your primary care doctor to approve all this stuff to what do you need now? And let's get you the resource that's cost effective for you and meets your needs and moves it forward. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, even on like the tech and the sales side of healthcare, they don't even want people coming into the office if you're, you know, if if you don't have to. So everything has been completely virtualized. Um, even from someone that's selling a uh, a device to a surgeon, they they hardly even want you in the operating room anymore, like they used to. Mm-hmm. All of that's gone completely digital. Um, so yeah, that the whole ecosystem for sure has gone remote.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the most interesting thing that I've seen uh, during the pandemic is also the reimbursement model. If you look at CMS, right, Centers for Medicaid and Met- Medicare, that I think is where you start seeing lasting change when the money matches the care model. And if they're looking ahead and they're reimbursing virtual visits for the same cost as the in-person visit, things like that. I think that's when you start seeing momentum. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd be curious to know if you see anything like that in the future. <laughs>
2: yeah i mean i think what gets paid for gets adopted and you see that um whether it's good or not i mean i when i was working for a large system you know one was a self-insured system and and so you know they're incented to keep people out of the hospital to make a margin on the premium of the insurance and the other one was basically a fee for service and build insurance for their revenue. And, you know, they was around diabetes and they're like, well, you know, we have to, the, the one that bills for service is a fee for service. Like we have to have our patients come in and actually get a blood pressure taken. I'm like, well, you could give them a $30 withings, you know, blood pressure cuff and send them home and they could send it to you and well, well we don't get reimbursed on that so we're not going to do it so even if it was better and more efficient for the patient because it wasn't reimbursed i think the same thing goes with telehealth now telehealth has sort of been in there because of covid and now it's being reimbursed so there's more and more move to telehealth i think the last piece and at least from my sort of vantage point is you know nursing services are not reimbursed um and so it we're part of the room charge. And so I think you're seeing a lot of what happens when you're part of the room charge and not able to um, be valued for your service and your interventions to to patients uh, kind of bubble up into the, the things that we're seeing in the news around nursing, being really frustrated about not not getting what they need and being at the table um, because they're sort of seen as a cost center rather than a, a value-added addition to the organization.
1: Hmm. So, Dr. Dan, tell us about drnurstan.com and what you're doing with that. And by the way, I think I developed your new tagline. It's something that you said earlier nurses do more than wipe butts. I think <laughs> you should put that on your business cards. Wow. You should have that at the, at the headline of your website. I think that's awesome.
2: Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> nurses are in all kinds of different spots in the world um, and very little of them wipe butts. So, um, yeah. So, drnurstan.com is my consulting arm. And, uh, you know, I do. I, I help organizations either, uh, you know, catalyze their strategy uh, for the future, connect in the, the sort of emerging trends around technology, or do, you know, work around helping them assess uh, different innovation projects. I'm working with one around assessing the organizational structure and impediments to a flexible workforce for nursing and how people can move seamlessly between hospitals and regions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, you know, helped organizations assess technologies that they may want to implement around staffing and, and, and other sort of emerging trends. And so really just enjoy solving really hard problems. And, and Dr. Understand is the place to, to go figure out what I can do for you.
1: And is that are you working with large healthcare systems or even like a, a private practice or a single provider? Is it kind of run the gambit?
2: Yeah, it runs the gamut. I you know I advise different startups on their go-to-market strategy or their brand and messaging pieces, um, or help them design their their products. I work with large uh, you know top five health systems uh, and and have worked with individual practitioners and helped coach them through some stuff too. So just you know it, it's more for me it's more is it in my wheelhouse and is it a cool project to solve and if that's that's something uh, I'm definitely down to, to clown. (laughs) I like
0: it. Um, So as we wrap up today's podcast, which has been really wide ranging, I've been been really enjoying the conversation. So thank you again for coming on. Do you have any nuggets for the audience that you can share um, Dan, you know, whether it be a nurse thinking about nursing and entering the workforce, or maybe a nurse that wants to quit because they're burned out, or maybe a technologist, an emerging entrepreneur. Uh, someone that's looking to change the world like you're doing. Any yeah. advice for anyone?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, people usually don't who aren't a nurse don't understand what nurses do. So take the time to go do that. And if you're a technologist trying to get into healthcare, know that there's a 95% chance that whatever you're building is going to touch a nurse's workflow. And it can either end up in the, in the drawer and never come out again, or it can be uh, championed across 4 million, 4.4 million nurses in the country. So, you know, we're, we're a, we're a force and we, we are the heartbeat of healthcare. So engage nurses. It's great. You want to have an MD on your team, but if your product touches nurses, you better have a nurse on that team. And I'm happy to help you connect with those. If you're looking at being in nursing, you know, now's the time. I know there's a lot of negative press out there. I actually just called, Called out LinkedIn recently about just promoting all these negative stories when there's a lot more good. Um, but look at you know look at the stuff that's happening that that people rallied around the Damar Hamlin right. There were nurses, paramedics trainers you know the the people that saved a guy's life in the middle of a field and um and that's the stories that you need to latch onto because that's the impact that a nurse can have and so i think those those kind of stories find those and and now you can name your price if you want to be a nurse it's a great paying great thing and if you find the right organization it's a lifelong career um and those that are thinking to quit just give it a chance. There's a ton of opportunity within the technology side. Um, and, and to break away from that bedside care and do something different, either start your own business or advise these companies that are trying to come in and fix the system. And so don't give up on it. Bedside care is only one aspect of nursing and, um, you know, find your passion and, and nursing will bring it to you. So,
1: Yeah. And for all you men out there, don't be afraid. You can be a nurse too. That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they, what's the best way to reach you?
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. That's probably where I spend 99% of my time. Um, so, uh, you find me on LinkedIn or drnurstan.com. You can fill out the form and it comes to me and, um, yeah, happy to chat about anything, innovation, nursing, uh, healthcare tech, innovation. Let's go. That's great. All right.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dr. Dan. This has been a really great conversation. Um, And uh, thanks, of course, to Pete for being here. And I wanted to say thank you to everyone that's listening out there and joining us for season three, being loyal followers of us. So hope you continue to do so. Continue to like, follow, and subscribe on all our social medias. And we will see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at KPP Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, feel
1: free to reach out. Hope to see you next time.